Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the 23 Personnel Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, joined by Keith. Howdy. Hey, man. It's a great weekend. It was a great weekend. It's a good day to be a Red Raider. Yeah, all the way around, man, from uh, track team, super regionals. Lots of great things happened this weekend. Of course, we're going to break all that down for you. Um, talk about the baseball team punching their ticket to get back to Omaha. Talk about the first men's national title for the school, going to the track, the outdoor track and field team, and get you ready for some Omaha baseball. Heck yeah, I'm ready. So, I guess first let's just talk about track and field really quickly. Um, I'm yes. I'm not a track and field expert. I can tell you that they secure the national title with. A couple of, of events still to be scored. They did. Um, meaning they had a pretty sizable lead over, I think Florida was in second place. They were. Yeah, they had a they had a lead over Florida, and then it was a 10-point lead and then secured it when they won the, the men's discus, and that uh, that secured everything. That was it. And it was – I saw a video later of Coach Kitley and some others sitting in the stands, and he, they'd been leading. He'd been leading in the discus – Throughout, he had one throw left, mm-hmm. and they're sitting in the stands waiting because they know. They, they, they've done the math. They know what's happening. Yeah. Um, Divine Odaduru won both the 100 and 200-meter sprints. Yes. Um, just ridiculous times. I, I, the 100 was 986, I oh. believe. Oh. Then the 200 was in the 19s. Um, both fairly Close, but really, I mean, I mean, close for a sprint, but really, I think it was kind of far for a sprint. I mean, he he was in command from the first step, like right (laughs) out of the blocks. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks close for sure. But both of them, I'm trying to look up the times, but both of them ended up being the second best time in NCAA history. Each event, they were the Mm -hmm. second best time ever posted. So, and then you also set uh, either school or team records in like the 400. The, the four by four hundred relays, um, you had a a women's high jumper that won the national title, Zariah Williams, at uh, just over six feet two inches. So very nearly could have cleared me standing there, which is just incredible to think about. These high jumpers are just so his hundred time was nine eighty six. Yeah, yeah, I was right on. And the, yeah, and then his <laughs> two hundred time, which was the NCAA championship record, 
second best time in, hist- in the history of the NCAA in collegiate time was 1973. Okay, so a lot he better passed. than I was given credit for. I mean, it was amazing that. because he ran that 100. He won it, I mean, as handily as you can win the 100. He's dancing out there. I think the race was like at 820-something, if I remember correctly. And then they turn around and say, well, this isn't even, this isn't even his best event. He's going to run the 200 at 907. So, I mean, like in a half an hour, he goes and does it again. Got to turn around and run a, another nearly world best race. Um, so, congrats to Wes Kitley and his team. Uh, I, I saw that there was a very warm welcome to the team on Sunday before the game. Was it, was it Saturday? I can't remember which day. It was this weekend. It was uh, Sunday because the women competed on Saturday, so right. they didn't come home until Sunday. And I, I kept mentioning the discus. His name is Duke Kaczynski, and uh, so you got to give him credit because it was his ten points that that sealed the deal. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, the the welcome home was cool. I mean, just seeing the video, they brought him through the big doors in the sports performance center. Wes mm-hmm. Kitley's holding the trophy above his head, and the stands are packed. You know, which you love that for those athletes that they get that recognition, not being in a big spectator type sport. And then they brought him into the ballpark and walked him all the way around. And somebody said, uh, how did they compare Oduduru carrying that trophy? It was, it was, somebody made a pretty funny comparison, but it was awesome. I mean, it was like a newborn baby. But they, were, they came all the way around the ballpark. I mean, third base all the way around to first base side, and everybody was really excited. I, I thought that was, that was extremely cool. My, my sister ran track in the early 2000s at Tech, and she messaged me, and she's like, I mean, if they were that good back then, I wouldn't have been on the team. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been cool to see Coach Kitley build that over mm-hmm. 20 years yeah, you know this wasn't like he's been here a long time. this wasn't overnight success this is a really that's a tough program a tough sport to build that kind of success in because they're when you talk about a blue blood and track and field i mean there are teams that just dominate you know from facilities and things mm-hmm. like that like oregon yeah so they they announced the the results saturday at the game uh this was before any of the players the the track and field team had returned obviously but they, they got a, a pretty warm welcome uh, mm-hmm. ovation there. Uh, I was I was at the, the baseball game Friday and Saturday nights, or Friday afternoon, Saturday night. Um, so I, it was really cool to see that. I was able to, to tune in uh, Friday evening to watch uh, Oda Duru's 200 mm-hmm. and then um, Duke Chichinsky's discus. Man, I got in. I, I got into it. <laughs> I mean, I immediately started tweeting, telling everybody to follow Don Williams, and like I was constantly like sending screenshots of the updated standings. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun. I mean, I've been around track a lot, but I had never gotten in on one just watching it build. And then it happens, and you kind of double-take, like, wait a minute, am I – I don't want to be wrong. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> it. I think this has happened. Yeah, so that's, that's a really cool uh, achievement. Um, just another great um, piece of success for the athletic department as a whole. I mean, not that you can top a national title. Right. Um, but the the conversation the past couple of days, at least regionally, has been – Texas Tech spring sports. Oh, and, yeah. I think nationally. And we mentioned that a couple months ago, really, when we, we talked about, oh, look, basketball is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball is, is slated to be really good this year. And then now it's like coming to fruition. You've got you know the national title game appearance for basketball. Yep. Your you baseball. know what I keep thinking of? Hmm. Early to mid, I don't know, January, early February, there was one thing we all agreed on. 
this basketball team's just not as good as last year. <laughs> That's what we kept saying. We were so down after the like three game <laughs> the losing three losses. Skin. We're yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this, game, this team's just not like we're good. all just convincing ourselves like it's going to be okay, but they're just not that good. It's all right. We'll get there. We, you know? <laughs> we don't have we don't have Keenan Evans. We don't have Zach Smith. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, the the spring. I mean, don't forget, I tweeted at somebody. There was a couple of pretty good articles. One from I think it was the Dallas Morning News. Yeah, it was Sherrington. Yeah, yeah, and it was really. I mean, the the title stunk because it made it seem like Kirby was on the hot seat or something for football. But it was a really interesting article just talking about Kirby's kind of path and his focus and what he's doing with Wells and what his thought process is. And I tweeted at him saying like, "Hey, don't forget track one." back-to-back indoor and outdoor Big 12 championships. Mm -hmm. Basketball and baseball won Big 12 championships. Softball went to their first regional since 2012, only the sixth ever, and took it down to the wire. Almost made a super, With, like, the blue blood of college softball. One of the blue bloods of college Mm -hmm. softball at LSU. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I mean, it was a, it's been quite the spring. And, and I know I'm forgetting, like, I know that there's been golf achievements or tennis things that I'm not as familiar with, you know, and I feel bad, like, sorry, Todd Petty. You know, I know that he had a couple of really exciting things happen this year and individual performances too. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about baseball then. Yeah, that one I know about. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the sports we've been paying a lot of attention to the past couple of months. Yeah. Um, this weekend, man, it was intense. It was nuts. Oh my gosh! Sunday, it's just the, hanging it's on the every in the notes. Pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Weekend was nuts. Weekend was nuts. Um, yeah. So that Sunday game, which we'll get to a little bit more in depth here in a little bit, was just it's back and back, back and forth. Uh, it seemed like every pitch, like you said, because of the wind and the weather, it like. Anything, any moment, the game could completely turn on his head. Yeah. Um, Friday night, Friday afternoon, um, you won eight to six, and I didn't realize this until I, I put together this notes document. Oklahoma State scored six runs in all three games. Yep. And I mean, the two games you won, you 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 scored eight, and the one game you lost, you only scored five. But Friday night, uh, you went with Micah Dallas, um, and I don't know the the exact stat here you, you may have to to correct this but i think he's like one of the only freshman pitchers starting pitchers without a loss this season he's the only freshman pitcher in a power five team that's seven and oh there you go so there may be some without a loss but maybe not with as many wins the only one that's seven oh no no one's better than that 
he's a fiery dude, man. He is. I, I love, love him. him. He I, was, I tweeted about him and he engaged a little bit with it. And I just thought it was awesome. Cause I mean, he's just, he's fired up. He's excited. He loves being out there and he does some goofy stuff that I like too. Like you like a little bit of quirkiness in a pitcher. You know, I think it's fun. Like when, like when Connor queen comes out full sprint with, with the stirrups, but his pants pull all the way up to his knees <laughs> That's right. and he's sprinting. Um, so yeah, so Micah Dallas, uh, I don't. I, this is the, probably the one game I didn't write down the stats too well. Too, he went six innings on Friday night. He went uh, five innings. Five. You're right. Cause I can't do the math that quickly. Uh, <laughs> he gets the win because uh, after five you were up five, no six to three. Um, John McMillan comes in, and gets a save. Uh, you also throw Dane Havman, Taylor Floyd, uh, and he gets pulled uh, because I, I believe that was a game he came out because of injury. Or was that Saturday? Saturday. He turned his ankle on Saturday. Never mind then. I'm so sorry. Yeah, he only pitched two-thirds of an inning. Um, yeah, he had two outs. And I think both got a – like, I mean, they both went about 20 pitches and got pulled because you knew they wanted him to be available again. Where he, McMillan – He went two he, full innings. Yeah, but he only threw 38, so I felt like he was going to be available on Sunday, and he did end up being the guy. Yeah, so that's the one guy – like, there were, there were a few guys that was thrown um, – so have been through in all three games – Yes. Um, Floyd threw – did he throw all three? No, he, he didn't come in on Sunday. He did not come in Sunday. He was warming, though. Yeah, he was warming next to Havman. When Havman came in on Sunday, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I think a lot <laughs> I of people – I was nervous. I think a lot of people felt that way because you hadn't seen the best from him. Although, I mean, he did an inning and a third on Friday. He did give up two runs, you know, but overall – I mean, he hadn't been – fantastic and shut down but he's a he's a situational guy I mean mm-hmm. he still leads you in appearances he and that was the other thing too I people love to gnash their teeth and lose their minds especially in Facebook groups you know There's yes particular. like yes he gives up a he gives up a home run or he you know it was the first home run he gave up of the season you know it was like mm-hmm. when Clayton Beater walks somebody at Texas and everybody's losing their mind it was his first walk <laughs> you know Taylor Floyd gave up his first home run I understand it's not the best time but you're also playing against one of the best hitting teams in the country, certainly super hot right now in a hitter's ballpark with the wind blowing. You know, like it's yeah, on Sunday. You're, you're trying, well, and that, yeah, that was Sunday, but you're trying to limit the damage. I mean, yeah, because I, I think Friday and Saturday, both of, the, both of those games, the wind was mostly coming in, or at least it was going across the field, if anything. But the wind was, not, was kind of Sunday. only breezing on Saturday, maybe to right. But yeah, Sunday, it was moving 25 plus. Blowing almost straight yeah, out. Yeah, BP, I mean, Oklahoma State was working the right side. Not only were you did you have the wind going that way, but you were going to not have Gabe Holt out there, too. So you're going to have a, you know, maybe somebody a little untested or they don't really know. They don't know about Otrumba. Yeah. Bam, bam. <laughs> he probably hates that. And he was like, just don't ever call me that. Taters. <laughs> um, Friday night, so Cody Masters and Josh Young both hit home runs. Um, Young on the weekend ends up hitting three. Mm-hmm. Uh, his final at-bat at Danloff Field is a home run, which is a really cool uh, moment for him to kind of go out on. Um, Saturday's game, uh, Killing gets a start. He goes six six full innings. You do end up losing that game five to six. Um, and it's one of those games where, like, they Oklahoma State took the lead, uh, bottom of the first because they they were the home team on Saturday. Um, Stupid. I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that rotation. That <laughs> uh, they added two more in the fifth, um, and then you started to chip away. Uh, you scored one run each in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Uh, you ended up tying it in the ninth at five. Um, and then you just had like the strangest meltdown. Yeah, you had just some unfortunate things happen. 
Yeah, so Clayton Beater comes in. He he came in in the eighth and got the one out in the eighth um, after Floyd was pulled because of his ankle. If I got the time on this right, uh, Floyd came in after Beater. Beater came in after ha- after Haveman. Haveman, Haveman. Yeah. So Beater gets the last out in the eighth. Um, yes. Walks the first batter, um, and then Floyd comes in. It's it's all in my notes right here, and you've got your scorebook there. Um, <laughs> Floyd comes in. He's got almost. I think it's almost back to back. Two wild pitches um, that advances the runner from first all the way to third. It was back to back. Yeah. Um, and then he walks that batter. Um, Alex Garcia. Alex. Alex. As, Alex, the, as yeah. the Tech fans were letting know. Although he did hit a home run. I think it was Saturday. Yeah, he cranked one. We did it get him. We got no him doubter. laughing one time. Yeah. We was, we offered uh, we offered for him to come have beers with us after the game. And uh, and he we got him laughing about that, and then I told him they were going to be consolation beers for him though, and <laughs> so Alex's mom, if anybody's not aware, is a fitness model, and she has a very active and well followed Instagram, and uh, and Facebook, and she's not shy, and so we talked a lot of, to Alex about <laughs> Kathy and her and her career this weekend, so got to know each other. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, as, as a thing, so like when where I'm sitting, the like. I'm around a bunch of older guys, and like the most that they're 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 chirping is to the home plate umpire. Sure, and it's about just balls and strikes. Um, I I'm far enough away, even from like Sneed's group, like I can barely hear what they're saying. Yeah, I can't ever hear them from my side. Um, and then obviously I don't hear anything from you guys because you're like someone on the other asked, side of the dugout from me. Someone asked on Twitter if who were they asking about. They were asking if if uh, someone they're like who is the person that's yelling obnoxious things to all of the Oklahoma State players. I was like, well, that's probably me. <laughs> probably me it could be friends. any number of us. Are they me. are they screaming meat at the pitcher because that's <laughs> that's that's one thing that happens also. Um, <laughs> but yes, back to back wild pitches advance him around, and then Garcia walks, and then uh, he gets a pop out to the uh, I think it was to Parker Kelly or to the third base, who at that point. It was. I have left field. Left field. Okay. I don't know if it was. If it was actually Kurt Wilson that got the catch. Parker Kelly got the catch in on the Sunday game. Sunday's game for the yeah. out too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he walks one more to load the bases, and then that final wild pitch comes in and scores. Yeah. I, I, I'm blanking on who their number nine batter was. He's the one that started off the inning. Well, it was walk. A, it was a pinch hitter. They they pinched Noah Seifert, who was mm, that's the. Right. Lubbock Coronado product that had gone to Oklahoma State. They pinched him in, and he's the one that ends up scoring that run. He had pinched in for Carson McCusker, their left fielder. That's right. The, the 6'8", 220 beanpole of a left fielder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I made the comment that I it was actually kind of interesting. The, the guys around me, and I, I say this is interesting because it hadn't happened all season, but like it was the same group of people, mm-hmm. all three or all two games that I was there. Um, but like I said, it was the first time it's happened to me all season. Like I'm having a conversation with a guy who's like, like we were talking about on Friday, we picked up again on Saturday. Oh yeah. yeah. So the, the dude turns around, um, he's like right in front of me and it may have been McCusker's first at bat. I was like, that bat looks like a foot too short in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, no kidding. And then like his, he had a, an early, early at bat in, in Friday's game. Um, where he struck out swinging on like a low pitch, or like you need a longer bat, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you end up losing the game Saturday on a walk off wild pitch. 
pass ball. I don't know how it was officially. It was, it was a wild pitch. Um, yeah, it gets to the backstop. It's over. Very unsatisfying. I mean, not that any no, loss is like, satisfying, but it's the worst way to lose. It was an immediate, like, everybody just, like, Ugh. jumps up and leaves. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, we're just hanging around, like, oh, that really sucked. Yeah. Um, Sunday, um, it was my birthday. I had plans with the family. I was honestly expecting the game, like, the series to be over on Saturday. So, like, when we made plans for Sunday, I was like, it's, it's I mean, fine. I'm going to need you to make your celebrations baseball. Like, I just went to dinner with my family, and it was my Father's Day dinner because I'm about to go to Omaha. <laughs> Dude, if I could just take off and go to Omaha, like, that would be... <laughs> Working for a school district does have one advantage when you're a major baseball fan. You know, I still work in the summer, but I have the time off that I can use fairly freely. June is a bit, it's kind of crazy how it works. Cause June's about the only time that I could do this. <laughs> right. Um, and th- what helps during the season is when we have like those weird midweek two o'clock first pitches, mm-hmm. my boss is a huge baseball fan. So we either have a TV on in our office or we're both walking out the door to go to the game. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you get to Sunday, uh, winner take all game. I'm not even sure what happened weather wise, but like Saturday was probably one of the hottest days of the year. I think it hit 97. Yeah, it, it was it was close to to triple digits. You come in on Sunday, it's like 65, it, overcast. It yeah. looks like you're back in March. I walked out of my house. It was 72 according to my Google Home. And I walk out, I was like, No, it's not. It's cold out here. <laughs> it's colder than that. Like man. I mean, I went in shorts and a cage jacket to the ballpark, and I took pants and different shoes and a jacket, and I changed <laughs> in the parking lot. Because I knew that it was just it was going to get cold and, and it really was ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. that's, but there were some other triple digits that happened on Sunday. So there's that part of it. Yeah, McMillan did come back into pitch. Yep, he actually pitched a lot. He pitched three and three and two thirds innings. Yep, um, coming in relief for Bryce Bonin. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know if you want to go through this the scoring here, but like Sunday was as back and forth as my heart could take. Oh my gosh. And I wasn't even there. I it was, was brutal. I was, I was at the in-laws house. I had the game up on the iPad. We're doing like my birthday dinner and I'm like <laughs> not even engaging the rest of the family. They're yeah. all there for my birthday. And I'm like, shut up. The game's on. I mean, you know, the ball's going to leave the yard. You know, it's going to with the wind, the wind's blowing 25 to 30 out of right field in BP. Oklahoma state was working right field. I mean, anybody, everybody knows Josh Young likes to pull it to right. I mean, you just know that it's going to leave the yard. The key with Oklahoma State, and uh, credit to a, call, a regular caller on Rob Rowe show on Friday when I was on there, he called in and, and said just that. With this team, if you limit free passes and their home runs are only solos, you got a shot. Mm-hmm. And there were seven home runs hit in that Sunday game, and the only one that was not a solo shot was Kurt Wilson's. And that was really, a, obviously, a huge it difference maker. one that turned the game. Yeah. And so it's, it's wild. I mean, you're sitting there, and Trevor Boone goes yard in the, in the second. And, and he, just, he goes he to left it. field, like almost yes. into the wind. Yes, he did. He cranked it. And then Colin Simpson, I mean, he hits a building I've never seen be hit. I mean, I saw every one of John McMillan's moonshots before people stopped throwing him fastballs. And this ball was longer than any ball I'd seen in the ballpark. I mean, he just – Absolutely cranked it. It bounced back almost into the park. It hit the building so hard. I, I miss watching John McMillan bat. Oh, my gosh. It was Because fun. it was like an exaggerated version of Joey Gallo. He hit the clock one time on the top, <laughs> the top of, of the, the video score. screen. I remember, yeah. I remember watching the video. And and, I was like, 
Dude, like, not only did he hit the scoreboard, he hit the top of the scoreboard. And he almost got it on the roof of that engineering building that's beyond center field. I mean, he hit about a foot below the roof, like on the on the rock up there. I mean, he he cranked it, you know, but yeah, Simpson did too. Of course, it's wind dated, but still. Cabinist goes yard. I mean, yeah, but like you said, they score one in the second. Tech comes back with two in the third, one in the fourth. Then they score two in the fifth. You answer with one. And we're in those middle innings, and I'm like, I feel like this game – has forever to go, you know, like there's so much drama right now, Mm -hmm. but really one of my favorite parts, the fans were garbage. Oklahoma state's fans were were some of the worst I've seen in baseball. And and it's sad because they're families and I don't know what all's being said over there to them, but I have to think like sitting around the plate, a lot of people aren't heckling those fans, you know, like those are season ticket holders. They're, I mean, they're not getting on those fans just to get a rise out of them, but they're being obnoxious there's bad word. There's words being exchanged. They berate Superfan Eric. Somebody berates him on the way out of the ballpark, you know. And so I think that people started to figure that out, you know, and what they were doing. And they're kind of trolling us, and they trolled him right back. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely started on Saturday when when it was like the game was on Saturday was was probably as, like in terms of intensity and drama, it built over the weekend. Saturday, obviously, when they won. Um, I think what really kind of started the whole thing was when they started cheering and screaming over the Matador song after the game on that's, Saturday. That's what fired me up. Yeah, they, um, they're cheering over our school song, which we're having to sing without music because you're not allowed to play it right. at the NCAA event until everything's over. Yeah, that was the, the trashiest thing that I saw. Other than the stories I heard, the things that I actually saw, that was the trashiest one. So you, you said that there's not a, lot, not a lot of heckling going on to those fans. I, I'm going to you can disagree. I mean, well, I don't sit over there. I'm just as I'm just I saying saw, there are probably was, aren't people. One guy. It was one guy. It was in the section next to me. So I'm on row th- end of row three. Um, this was the next section over on the front row. So like you know, just a few seats away from me. Mm-hmm. There were like direct interactions going back and forth between this guy and like a handful of Oklahoma State fans. So okay. Like, when they would score, they would get up and like look at him and like scream and yell and point right. at him. When we would tie or come back, he would do the same thing back to them. Nice. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't vulgar or offensive. It was more like they were like locked in. So like whenever there was something good for their team, they would like connect. Yeah. I um, I had that happen with an Arkansas fan last year at the College World Series. The difference was I was eating sunflower seeds and he had like nine beer cups stacked on top of each other. <laughs> and... uh I think it all ended when I told him I remember my first baseball game and his wife grabbed him and sat him down because he had his kids with him. Like he was ready to fight. So it was kind of, <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. So yeah, I, yeah, I, my main point was I would assume that tech fans weren't sitting there taunting them, that it was coming from like their behavior. They started it. I'm trying to say they started it. Sure, sure. <laughs> and it, it, it's not that there was much to taunt about because, I mean, I, I, I would feel pretty silly, and it's happened to me before, and I've kind of learned my lesson to like not get super engaged in that kind of stuff in a close game because it can turn right back oh, yeah. around. I'm like, not a gonna, trash talker because it'll come back. throw it right yeah. back in your face like, oh, I feel like such an idiot now. And then you got nothing. Yeah, yeah you got nothing. Um, yeah, they were just – the whole o- – spelling the OSU, doing the OSU cowboy thing that they do, all of a sudden – and I don't know who started it, but in my mind, there's an older guy sitting directly in front of the OSU section over there. And he's a tall, skinny, older guy, and he's standing up doing the arm motions when everybody starts doing TTU. And in forever in my mind, that's the guy that did it. Like <laughs> he's standing directly in front of them. So I, I don't think like if that started 
Saturday, it would have been super late Saturday if, if it, I'm pretty sure it started Sunday. So I, I, I wasn't there for it in, in person. Um, the further you got into the game, the more the crowd got into it. Yes. Um, certainly after the Wilson home run, like you could, you could audibly hear it on the broadcast, the TTU, yes. they actually show, uh, you know, they swing a, a camera through the stands and they're doing it. And it's like, I loved it. That's awesome. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you're trolling the ultimate tradition thieves, you know, and sticking it right back down their throat. And, and it was funny. It really did deflate them. You know, that as, as fans, like they kind of sat down, they weren't nearly as loud. I also saw, and this was across the field, but I saw a, normally there's a blue shirt sitting over there. This time there was a highway patrolman sitting over there and one of the blue shirt security folks. And I saw a hypo go up and around that section to the kind of ringleader that was doing a lot of the cheerleading kind of from the cor- the top corner. Mm-hmm. And I saw the, the brim of the hat on the forehead move, you know, from the policeman. And, um, you know, those guys are not to be trifled with. And, and he did not. I don't even know that he stood up again. You know, I saw him <laughs> clapping and that was pretty much it. And then we had a whistler. Oh, my gosh. That whistler on Sunday. No, yeah. No, it was Saturday because I was there. Saturday. I was there for yeah. it on Saturday. He didn't do nearly as much on Sunday. Like we, I saw him. He was probably middle of the way up in the OSU section, the end of the row closest to the dugout. Um, I was told on Twitter it was Joe Lionheart's dad, one of the pitchers. It was his dad. That's what I was told. I don't know if that's true, but that would be the second time that the parent of a player was god awful on <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> yeah, because you got a uh, Mama Mang, Mama Mang at uh, in From New Mexico, New Mexico, yeah. Um, so this dude was whistling, uh, you all know what he was whistling. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was a normal baseball sound effect. I don't, he was doing cheers. Yeah, like he was, was cheer. it was, he was just, continuing cheers with a loud whistle. It was obnoxious in the, in the, in the stands. Like you could hear him yeah. across the entire ballpark. It was picked up on both radio and TV broadcast. Mm-hmm. Everybody was picking up like this dude sucks. Yeah. He's the worst. <laughs> he's the worst. And I don't know if it was, I, and I know I noticed on Facebook and Twitter when people were talking about it and trying to fit, cause I could see him. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I sit on first base, you're looking directly at that section. You know, I'm looking right at the other dugout and so I can see him doing it. And he was also the guy that was waving a towel a lot. And, but as people started talking about who, who was that after the Saturday's game, um, a friend of mine that was sitting out in left field in the bleachers said they had a whistler out there too. And so, cause I saw several people like, please God, make it stop from left field. <laughs> um, so back to that towel really quickly. Um, there was, there were times when on Saturday, when the game got close, that towel was not being waved around. It was draped over his head. Yes. He was like, covering his face yes and i i had another i had another friend that got himself a towel up in the club seats and they were apparently directly like towel communicating like there was some towel trolling going on back and forth there were a lot of uh tweety bird comments from around our section yeah directed to this man um well and everybody just prepare yourselves if you're going to watch the college world series vanderbilt is there vanderbilt has a very well-known whistler i mean you can google vanderbilt whistler and see what he looks like right now the best description i saw was he looks like a guy that habitually commits insurance fraud and apparently even their team wants this guy to go away and there's nothing they can do about it so they're not in tech side of the bracket but if you end up playing Vanderbilt or or you watch those games, the Whistler will ruin your day. And Arkansas as well. I mean, everything about them, including their super fan, Hognoxious. Hognoxious. Yeah, so I'm looking at this dude now. Um, he's a winner, man. He's a real winner. Yeah. 
like a less successful version of uh, of Ric Flair. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... So, like you said, the game, crazy back and forth, and really the big key, you know, it, it comes down late. Obviously, Kurt Wilson, huge home run. Josh, run, Josh Young, two dingers in the game. His home run... Uh, in the eighth, his la- his final at bat, as you said, his home run was enormous for Tech because that puts you back into um, into a position to to take the lead. Yeah. So you, going into that inning, you were down six to four. Yeah. Um, Labar said he, he felt pretty confident, like that was it. Uh, of course he did. Yeah. He he was he's super negative. He's like I, always down. On I'm not gonna lie. There was a time. In no, about- that was on Saturday. That was Saturday. He was like, I don't feel like we're coming back from that one. But you get down 6-4 uh, in the top of the eighth, and it was on that Colin Simpson just moonshot of a home run. One, and I, I, was, I was frustrated with this because I, I brought it with Keith. I don't think he saw it during the game. So Colin Simpson hits it, drops his bat, and just stands in the batter's box for a full second at least before he starts moving. I'm like, all right, this dude needs to get hit his next <laughs> time up. <laughs> yeah, not a good time for that. Right, because his next time up, there were two outs in the ninth with two runners on. So he yeah. would have been like the winning run, <laughs> and you would not have wanted to put the bases loaded. Um, but yeah, so Josh Young hits the solo home run, bottom of the eighth. Uh, Cam Warren walks mm-hmm. and then is pulled. Uh, so his his final appearance in Dan Law Field, he, he gets a standing ovation. Uh, it was shown on the broadcast. Max Marshak comes in to run for him. Great move. It was. It was a great move. He he steals second, mm-hmm. advances to third on an E2. Good job, Colin Simpson. So Colin Simpson sucks. Like, he's a terrible <laughs> catcher. And he, he didn't play on Saturday as a catcher. He, was he did DH. not because he's fat. That's why. And I'm, I know I'm being a little salty, but I just did not. I don't understand. I mean, I know that he hits dingers. I get it. You know, Big Al hits dingers too. But he, he just doesn't. That's my favorite. He's not a, I know. He's just not a good defensive catcher. He hit a lot of home runs in the Big Twelve Championship in the Big Twelve tournament, excuse me, and then did nothing in their regional. Struck out like eight times, and so you know, getting anything here was a positive for him. But that was your biggest loss. You lost Gabe Holt to injury on Saturday night, mm-hmm. and you were not able to challenge Simpson because you could have challenged him throughout the game with Gabe Holt, maybe Cody Masters who didn't get on base until the fourth, uh, maybe Dylan Noisy. That would be you know another guy that could do that, but he got out on his trying to stretch his double to a triple in the third and didn't get back on till the seventh. So, I mean, you could have been challenging him more if Gabe Holt had been there because he would have made that throw into center field earlier. I mean, he just doesn't have the arm. You know, he doesn't have the arm, the quickness. He's not a good defensive catcher, and you have the the guys that could do that. That's why that was such a great move because not only does Marshawk have the speed to steal, but you could steal on that guy. You well, know? Masters behind Marshawk did steal second. So he did he? Yeah, he right before the 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 home run. He's on, like there's Oh, he was uncontested. Wasn't it uncontested? Probably, but because he knew if he made that throw, it would have ended up in Boone's lap. He, he and stole, would have scored. He stole on <laughs> Drew Baker's strikeout. And they didn't even try to they didn't even make the throw. Yeah. It wasn't a strike him out, throw him out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, I I'd forgotten about that. So, but but it was just a great move. I mean, and you know you can put Marshawk in the field. And my friend <laughs> just and I know you're getting there, but when you get down to the bottom or to the top of the ninth, my friend leans over and goes, This looks like a Tuesday midweek lineup right now. Like Kurt Wilson's <laughs> playing first, Parker Kelly's in, Max Marshock's in the outfield, Tara Tripp is here. Like, what's going on? 
Um, so with runners on second and third, Kurt Wilson comes in in the broadcast. Like he had just fouled off a pitch, and the guy's like, "That was his pitch. He's not going to see another one like that." And then this. That was definitely a, a wind-assisted home run because even the broadcast guys had no idea it was going out until it was gone. Yeah, it was high, and it carried and carried, and then it just goes off the video board, and it kind of softly does. You know, <laughs> it, it wasn't like it was full of power, but, man, it was an awesome moment. And he was already halfway to second. I mean, he had rounded first when yeah. you finally know, and he turns around looking to the dugout just having a great time. So the, the camera follows him. So he, he goes into the dugout, like, up the first baseline, Um he follows him all the way down to like when he gets basically behind Tadlock, just screaming and like throwing things and punching. Like you're like, dude, is he okay? Is he mad? <laughs> no, he's just so pumped up and excited. Um, Tadlock kind of half reaches back to give him like like a fist bump and like he doesn't even acknowledge he was just not even there. Um, it was nuts. So that home run puts you up eight to six. Um, and then you would think like, okay, we're, we're there. We can kind of, we just need to, to close it down. But then things get hairy in the ninth. Again, you, like you start off with, uh, I can't remember if it was a walk, but you got, you got. You get, they, they walked Alex Garcia. Yep. And then he got pinch run for, which is funny because they pinch run for our first baseman and we're giving him a standing ovation. <laughs> they pinch run for their first baseman and we're screaming at Alex that he's too slow and fat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they walk him and then you end up with, yeah, McMillan, he, you know, McMillan came into the game. He went three and two-thirds innings. He comes in for Bryce Bonin, and it was terrifying because he goes up there, and he starts throwing it to the backstop. And we're like, oh. Which, like in the past years, like, like you knew he didn't have his yeah. command. Like, yeah. He's doing that. He's, he's But he's been so good the mm-hmm. last few weeks, and you're like, okay, walk it in. And he does. He dials it in in his, in his warm-up, and he pitches pretty well. And then he really settles in, and he's pitching awesome. And they weren't in the zone, but he had back-to-back pitches that went 100. And so you're, I mean, you feel like he's doing it. Like, and he's got, I mean, when you're throwing a hundred, even if it's not in the zone and then you drop in a 84 mile an hour curveball, like his, his stuff is wipeout. I mean, that's the, that's the power of his speed. It's not to blow gas by people. It's to, it's to destroy their perception and all the other pitches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the best part is, but yeah, he starts to lose it. You know, he loses it in the ninth and, and he's getting a little wild again and, so they pull him after the walk, which was smart. I mean, I'm glad he had a short leash there because you don't want to get into a, a worse situation. But like even then, so like he came in, in in the fifth. They were able to get a couple of good hits on him in the fifth. He gave up two home runs. Um, and in previous years, McMillan was not super mentally strong. No, he would have lost it. Yeah, But he, he came back. and No, he didn't have like his best stuff in the ninth before he was pulled. Um but even like some of the contact in the fifth would have rattled him in, in previous seasons, or at least the home run. I mean, he gave up two hits, and they were home runs. Yeah. He gave up two hits, he had a walk, and he had a sack fly. And then his second walk was the final batter he faced in the ninth. But here's, here's what to me tells me that he, did a, that he had a really nice outing. He went three and two-thirds. Bryce Bonner went four and a third. McMillan only gave, gave up two hits. He did give up three runs, but only two were earned. He had the two walks, but he had just as many strikeouts as Bonin in less work. I mean, he went up there, and he took care of business a lot. He, del- he set him down in order in the sixth, 
If it wasn't for the home run in the seventh, they're down in order also, which, like I said, and I'm sure that Matt Gardner told him the same thing, balls are going to leave the yard today. Mm-hmm. And if somebody gets a hold of a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, it's going somewhere, it's, it's going somewhere fast. Yeah. You know? And when you got a 30-mile-an-hour wind to grab it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be gone. So, I mean, altogether, I was really impressed with him in that situation. And to me, this goes back to Baylor. John McMillan went – came in in the extra innings in Baylor and got Texas Tech back into that game. You know, he pitched well enough that Tech clawed their way back and forced extras. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's given you some really good outings. And I don't care if you're sitting on Facebook, like, poo-pooing, you know, oh, our pitchers were just serving it up the whole time. That's what one of my – Well, it's a power-hitting team in a hitters-friendly park yeah. with the wind blowing yeah. out. I guess it was – like you just it's a great yeah you gotta you gotta survive this team i mean there was there were parts of it that that you had to survive they hit better with power than you do i mean they're they're a good team and i think all but one of their home runs of the weekend were solo shots and that was because you had limited the damage the free passes the just the constant contact you know throughout the lineup so when, when somebody did get a hold of it okay it's one run and it sucks as a home run it you know kind of energizes everybody a little bit but like it's okay that it was it was just one run and you're, you're not out of it, right? Um, so, Havman comes back in, in the ninth. Sorry, he he comes in again uh, on the ninth. He gets a strikeout. Then he gets a pop up to third base in foul territory. Um, Parker Kelly had come in at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe there's a walk in there somewhere because there, there's two guys on base. Mm-mm. Was that McMillan then? McMillan walked the first guy. And I don't. I didn't record another one. I can check and make sure. I might have missed one in my book. No, no. You, you know what? Because the batter would have been the, the tying run. Okay, so there's a gun. Like the tying runs at the plate. I'll go look. I'm pretty sure. Hold you on. might be right. I could have um, missed one. I mean, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to my book at that point. I was also trying to see around the people standing up in front of me. Yeah. So when 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 Havman comes in, um, so not when he comes in, but. Nope, just the one. No, he did. So yeah, they're, they're running. Yeah, he on, walked on. his first. He walked his first runner. Yeah, so he, he, or his he, first batter. He walks the first batter, puts the second guy on base. Um, so you got the go ahead. You got the go ahead run at the plate. With that, he strikes out his second batter on the eighth pitch of the at bat. So there's a long extended at bat. Um, I think it's Christian Funk. It was that he gets. Um, then the. Th- the next batter pops up to Parker Kelly, like we said, um, and then he's facing Simpson with a t- <laughs> a chance to to put you down nine six or sorry nine to eight, with two guys on. Um, Havman, I believe, had given up to Simpson a home run to Simpson on Friday, so like he had faced him earlier the weekend um, and had not fared well. Um, no, maybe not. I'm just making this up. I'm just. I'm creating extra drama here. Come on, Keith. Simpson hit a Simpson hit a home run on Saturday in the seventh. I'm not a hundred percent sure if that was Havman. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that was. So, so it was Saturday that you're talking about. Actually, it was in the eighth. Excuse me. So the last time that Havman had faced Simpson, he'd given up a home run. Comes in top of the ninth, two outs with a two-run lead, but you've got two guys on. And Simpson at the plate, who had just hit a home run in this most previous at bat, too. He had hit one in the eighth um, off of McMillan. Um, Havman's working high fastballs. 
I'm trying to get little shorty fat boy here to, to swing and <laughs> <laughs> he's successful. Um, Keith said he called the strike as it was leaving Havman's hand. I, I'm not going to doubt him on that. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't. It wasn't leaving his hand. It was about halfway there, and I, I said it in the silence. And then there was a cheer. <laughs> I don't know if it was the last one, but I, I do remember that happening. Yeah, and I will always remember it. <laughs> yeah, man, it's yours. And now, for some reason, I'm not getting audio from the board. Hooray. Um, anyway, so <laughs> all have that work. I know all that work, all that delaying, <laughs> trying to pull up the video of it, get you the sound here, the actual call. Um, Havman ends up striking out Simpson on a high fastball. It would have been ball two, um, but he, he'd gotten his eyes up, had him chasing. Um, you get in the words of, of Dylan Dushek, a very weak dog pile. But yeah, that was awesome. I tend to believe it was a little weak one because of just the the drama of the game. Like it was more like a sigh of relief. At least it was for me that the game had ended. You're like, okay, we I did mean, win. We're there, good here. There was a point. The drama it was so heavy, and like the situation was so heavy. I wasn't even thinking about the College World Series. You know, I'm thinking about like getting through the moment. And then all of a sudden, it, he swings and misses, and you're like, oh, crap, Omaha. You know, like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, we and just then won they, the Supers. And then they dogpile on the pitcher's mound, which is not what you normally see. So it looked very uncomfortable on top of, like, the normal situation. So Havman actually got out of the way of that. He was not on the bottom of it. Yeah, we actually said that in the stands. Havman just walking around the pile. <laughs> uh, it, I can't tell who got on the bottom. It looked like Parker Kelly was in there real early. Um, I saw Brian Klein jump on it more than once. <laughs> Like he waited, he jumped on it, he got off, and then he turned around and jumped in backwards with his legs out in front of him, like like the perfect picture. Like you needed the photo finish. <laughs> and then there was one um, from the angle. So it was from the the text tech media guy had picked up the video of um, Connor Queen d- diving in. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know if you've seen those videos of of. Uh, the silly salmon where there's just random people just jumping uh-huh. and something. It looked like he was doing that. Like his <laughs> legs were together and it was like straight body landed on top of the pile. It was, it was a great shot. Oh, bullpen pitchers, man. <laughs> They're awesome. So you don't get the, the, the cool video like of, of, of the bullpens, you know, the running out from inside running out. Um, I did see tech ask for all the cell phone videos today. They're going to do that compilation like they did last year. That'd be pretty cool. Speaking of cell phone video though, uh, head coach Matt Wells, football head coach Matt Wells was behind the plate. Uh-huh. Um, his cell phone video of that final strikeout, probably my favorite of it, because it, one, it's it's a great angle. He's probably two or three rows up, uh-huh. straight back. Um, he's got a, a good shot of everything that happens, and then he turns to his son, who's just like screaming his head off. Yeah, like, you could tell like he and his son were having a good time there. And they go a lot, like, and it's not yeah. a photo op. I mean, Wells has a hat on; he's not looking for anybody to recognize him i think he just likes taking his kid to the ballpark you know? yeah because all the games that i had gone to from the tcu series until sunday he'd been there with his son in all, uh-huh. all those games well and i remember he tweeted when tech won the big 12 title when they finished that sweep of uh who were they playing i forgot of tcu at the end of the of the regular season, um, Matt Wells tweeted a picture of his kid out there with the team on the field, and he's like, he was part of a Big 12 title before I was. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. 
um, no, it was, it, it was a really cool video to see. Um, and I, I don't know like the details around this, but uh, supposedly the move from Logan, Utah was a little difficult for the family. His son was super uh, big into baseball. So this was been kind of a kind of soothing the transition. Yeah, for, that's helping cool. the transition. Um, I do think I saw that he posts on Twitter that he and his son are going to go up to Omaha for at least a couple games, nice. which would be pretty fun to watch from up there. Um, and then you, you kind of see the rest of your bracket kind of fall into place. You're, you're making mm-hmm. the trip up to Omaha. It's, it's almost like a, a compacted version of a regional plus super regional tournament. You've got the two four team brackets, double elimination. And then you go to a best of three series, uh, for the winners of those brackets, your side of the bracket tech, um, a familiar two opponents, really, you're going to face Michigan again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually faced them first on Saturday. That game wasn't that game and time were announced on Tuesday. Um, and then the other game would be Arkansas-Florida State. Florida State had a heck of a super regional against LSU on the road. They ended up coming back and, and winning those games. I think to win the Supers is a walk-off. And then you get Frank Martin, who's like, you know, 85 years old. <laughs> He's 75, but yeah. <laughs> Not sure what's <laughs> – entirely sure what's going on. It seems like, like, oh, hey, man, we, we just won. And, like, it just – what it's really cool to see, like, hear all of his career accomplishments. Oh, dude. dude he's been, like, something like 30 – 40 – he's co- this is his 40th year okay, yeah. coaching Florida State. Every season has been a 40-win season. Which is just stupid, ridiculous. He's, this is his 17th trip to the College World Series. They have not won one, so that's the big thing. That's the storyline. But they got here after a pretty mediocre season. I mean, I would have argued with you they didn't deserve to be in the field. Mm-hmm. And here they go plowing their way through. Regional, then super regional. Um, and then the craziest thing I've heard, his worst year, his worst year was – a 40 win season and a regional loss. That's been the worst, the worst year of his career. Could probably so, take that except for the expectations. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so other- I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not a no, big fan. Of, I mean, they're pushing it hard. And I think that the, com- I felt like the committee put him in because of the, the storyline. Um, and the one thing that does bug me is people like to say he's won more games than any other coach in any sport. Well, yeah, the season's longer than any other sport. So, yeah, he's been successful. He's won over two thousand games. I mean, that's which is a lot. That's That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to poo poo it, but it it is a pretty cool a pretty cool situation. The other side of the bracket, uh, Vanderbilt, Louisville, another team that we kind of questioned whether or not they belonged even making it to a regional. They make it all the way to Omaha, just like Florida State. Uh, I don't I don't think they deserve to be a national seed. I think Mm -hmm. they were definitely I think they were definitely a a host probably, but they stumbled quite a bit down the stretch and, and in their conference tournament. So I think their national seating stayed a little high in my mind. And they were actually the first ones to advance to the, to yeah, Omaha this first season. First one to clinch it. Yep. Cause they, I believe they're the only series that they were just two games. I think every other series was at least three were, were the three full games. Cause I know tech was, I know Michigan was, Arkansas did lose to Ole Miss, so that, that went to three games. Florida State, they won Sundays. I, I don't know if that was a, a two- or three-game series. I know they they may have started late. Um, Louisville, like I said, was was 2-0 and against East Carolina. Mississippi State. Florida State, actually, they did sweep. Okay. They did sweep LSU. But they started on, on Saturday. Yeah, so. they did Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. yeah, they weren't the first, but they did have a two-game. Although the second game, uh, it did go to 12. Yep. Um. 
and then Auburn comes out of the North Carolina Super Regional, um, where it looked like North Carolina was going to – they had a strong start to the first game, um, and then Auburn just, like, clawed their way back in. And then – Oh, my gosh. The, the third game, the last game, whatever it was, whether it was second or third game, they put up 11 runs in the first inning. Auburn did they over North Carolina. clobbered them. I mean, it was – they put up, like you said, 11 runs. Auburn went through four pitchers in the first – in the top of the first inning, I want to say they had 18 batters hit. I mean, they almost hit around twice. In the that is hitting around twice. If you have 18, that's I mean, messed up your scorebook for real. Yeah, no kidding. I'm <laughs> glad mine goes extra. Like that's wild. So the winner of each of those brackets will will come together for the the championship series. And, um, sorry, now that I think about it. 11 in the top of the first. I'm pretty sure they won that game like 12 to 7 or something. <laughs> like it slowed way down. Talk about coasting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, first games will be Saturday. Uh, Texas Tech in Michigan is the very first game of Omaha, which is pretty uh-huh. cool. Yep. You get to start that thing off. Um, your side of the bracket will play Saturday. The other side will play um, on Sunday. Um, and then, of course, with the d- double elimination, it, it, it gets kind of hairy trying to track teams where they're going with the if they're in the losers bracket, fighting their way back in the winners bracket. I can um, tell you that Tech will play that first game one o'clock, and then they'll play on Monday no matter what. If they lose, they play the early game. I think it's at one. If they win, they play the late game like at six, mm-hmm. and they'll either be playing uh, who's the other side of the bracket, Arkansas or Florida State. Florida State. And then after that, then it gets like impossible. The crazy thing is if they win their first two games, they don't play again until Friday. The and following, that, yeah. Yeah, and that Friday game is to go to the title game, to go to the title series. So it's crazy how quickly you get there. You win your first two, and all of a sudden you're playing to go to the championship. And if you lose Friday, then you play on Saturday because it's double elimination. You have the chance again. Yeah, and so the, the thing that we're talking about going into um, the super – sorry, into the regional play, Tadlock and team were saying we need – 10 more wins at this point you're halfway through you need five more wins to, to win a title yeah which is like the the omaha tournament setup feels like like it's kind of drawn out because it, it plays out over two weeks yeah 10 um, 10 days without 10 weather days. 10 days of of games but when you think about five games like man that's that's not a lot of games and you, you can get bounced pretty quickly yeah um or you can be playing into next weekend and you're like I mean, Tech played until Thursday last year. Now, some of that was rain-delayed. That's why they ended up playing on Thursday. They had a – well, no, they had a, they had a Tuesday game that got bumped to Wednesday. Wednesday and then they, morning. Yeah, right? and then they played the next day on Thursday. That was their final game, and it was Thursday night. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're, then you're national champion. If, if you do go the full three games in the championship series and it's not weather-delayed, then the national championship is awarded the following Wednesday – so opening ceremonies on Friday, June 14th, and the national champion, if you go with the full series, will be crowned on June 26th. So it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a long one. <laughs> That's why a lot of people say, I'm just going to stay home and watch them on TV, and if they make it, I'll get up there. You know? Yeah, because it, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of to, to plan a trip because you're not sure how long you're going to be there. Right. Um, unless you're saying, you know, however long the team's there, I'm leaving on X date. Um, you have to buy tickets for the, the games or, you know, well, just they, they do it pretty cool. Like there's there's kind of two ways you can buy general admission and they come in packs of 10. And it's like 90 bucks for 10 tickets and they work for any game. 
So the problem, and general admission is the entire outfield, all the stands in the outfield. The problem is you have to stand in line. So if it's a really big game or a game where I mean with a with a big fan base, you may be in a four hour line or longer. I mean it could be blocks down the road. So they also have an exchange system, to, you know, like a like their own StubHub kind of system, which actually works really really well. And that's how we bought our tech tickets last year. But from what I've heard, and this is kind of an interesting thing because there's a lot of people up there without a dog in the fight. They go because it's a cool event. Mm-hmm. They go every year. They love baseball, whatever. Um, we heard from multiple people that we talked to last year, the best way to go to Omaha is without a team because you're not tied to anything. So you go to games as much you as you want. The game you yeah, want you just go. To. Or A lot of people will pick a team to hang with, and they'll just root for them. A lot of locals do that. They'll pick a team they like. Think about doing that and picking up Coastal Carolina a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, would have been nuts. That would be cool. And, yeah, the underdog's fun. I mean, you got a couple. I mean, you don't have a Cinderella, but I would argue that and I talked about this. Hey, surprise. So I'll, I'll have a, uh, a preview episode coming out on Thursday of the Michigan game. And I talked to Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. And we talked about that. You know, if there's a Cinderella this season, Michigan might be that team. They were ranked in the preseason, but they're a Big Ten team who struggle. They haven't been to the series since 1984. So, you know, there is some of that storyline there. Florida State's going to dominate all the storyline kind of sure. talk. Between them and Arkansas, who was the runner-up last year. Yep, and all three of those are on your side of the bracket. Yeah, but I'd rather be there than with than with Vanderbilt. And the Whistler. And, and yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so we, we mentioned, you should remember this, we played Michigan, uh, Texas Tech played Michigan uh, in late March in that kind of weird uh, three-game weekend series. Um, it was, sorry, three-team series with, with Michigan and Stetson. Mm-hmm. Thursday through Saturday, Michigan. Then you kind of did like an early midweek Sunday, Monday with Stetson. Yeah, because Stetson and Michigan played like a double. Like you played Michigan Saturday. I think they played. I think we played Michigan. Michigan. Stetson played, and then you played Stetson for two games. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, In that series, uh, you outscored them 29 to 10. It was a three game sweep. From Jamie Lint, this was a team that has, has. shuffled through some things but you end up scoring um seven runs at least in the first game that were unearned so seven of i think you scored 11 runs that game yeah they had um, a game that they had four errors in in that one game and that was, that was game one you, they ended up having eight total errors on the weekend they had two two errors each guy this is probably the last thing i looked at before i came over here <laughs> um they've shuffled their Pitching a little bit. I, I know that one of the guys um, from that weekend series you're likely to face. I can't remember if it's Henry or the other one that I'm now losing his name. So Henry, um, you faced you faced both Je- uh, Carl Kaufman and Tommy Henry, who were their two main starters and have continued to be throughout the season. Henry, you actually handed him his first loss of the season. I think he was five and zero when he came in. Had a sub one ERA, a sub one WHIP. I mean, he was he was nuts. But you lit both he and Carl Kaufman up that mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, and then their other pitcher, I can't remember the name, but he's kind of moved around in the rotation now. But so is yours because your third pitcher that weekend was was Erickson Lanning, and so you're not going to see him most likely. So you'll probably see if they stick with their rotation, you'll see Carl Kaufman. Okay. So uh, this is probably out of order now that we we, we were going through the, the Cinderella uh, I guess storyline. They were up in the Corvallis Regional uh, with Oregon State. Uh, perennial power made it through that one, although they didn't actually end up playing Oregon State. Um, no, they beat Creighton to win that regional. 
I think they played Creighton three times. That sounds right. And they played uh, some other team I'm, I'm blanking on. Their uh, reward for, for winning in Corvallis is to head down to UCLA. <laughs> um, but they, they won the UCLA Super Regional, obviously, in three games. All three games were really close. The, I got the, the game that was least in question was – I say least in question. Not like It's a big deal. But they, they won 4-2 on their third game. But they had that an insurance run. That fourth run came in, I think, the ninth inning. Mm-hmm to go up 4-2. Otherwise, it was 3-2. Um, they and won 3-2, 4-5, 4-2. And their second game went late into the night. Yeah, it was uh, extras. Af- after 1 a.m. our time, extras. It was it was a pretty wild game to watch. It was a lot of fun. So their path to, to Omaha, like I said, included going through the Corvallis Regional and then taking down the number one overall seed, UCLA, on the road. Um, wild. They are your, your, wild. your first draw up in Omaha. Like we said, though, you've played them before. You've got some familiarity with them. The third time that's happened to Texas Tech, that you've played a regular season opponent in your first game in Omaha. You played TCU in 14 and 16, and now you play Michigan. So last year was the first time you hadn't played a regular season opponent in your first game against Florida. And that's when you got to Brady Singer in the fifth inning. I yeah, remember they were like – Do you remember was, who got to Brady Singer? Like who turned the tide? That's a, that's a great Texas Tech moment that you'll never see on a highlight reel because how do you highlight it? Uh, with the way you said it, I'm thinking it was Michael Davis. Mm-mm. Cameron no. Warren. Cameron Warren. Because I, I remember, like, when we got to Brady Singer, it's not like, like we were hitting home runs, but, like, they were solid line drives, like, right back up in his face. Cameron Warren had a 14-pitch at bat. Yes, and the game yes, turned, I remember that now. The game turned on that at bat. It, it, it really seemed to rattle him. Yeah, because after that, I think you ended up scoring three or four runs. Yeah. In that fifth inning. Um, you end up chasing him there pretty soon after that. And then they just weren't able to come back. You, mm-hmm. you, you beat them. You go on to, to that rain-delayed game against Arkansas. You get that strange Gabe Holt outfield issue, which I think – He did make a – he made a great catch out there yeah. the next day, the next game. Um, you lose to Arkansas. Um, and I will say I was sitting down the right field line, and those fans, those Arkansas fans, I mean, they were – wow. <laughs> I mean, you imagine every bad – stereotype about Arkansas and they were fulfilling it and they were pouring all of it on Gabe Holt. I mean, they were just bringing it. Um, I guess it's probably not likely with your pitching rotation unless things get a little wonky, but there's a chance that Bryce Bonning could face Arkansas. Would be cool. Yeah. Um, cool storyline. But because he's, he's your third pitcher, you're not like, you'd have to lose one of your first two games and then be fighting back into it um, to be facing Arkansas on a third game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could be cool. Easton Morrell could, could find his way into the uh, a game somewhere to also face former team in Arkansas. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little, I don't know if concerns the, the right word, but I'm curious to see what goes on with third base because you have Morrell who has not been fantastic over there. He kind of got a couple shots. Um, you've had Parker Kelly, who's the strongest defensively there, but who hasn't been hitting as well. And then Drew Baker is, I think, kind of the the mix together. And I think Drew Baker on in that Friday game earned him more, earned himself more starts. And I'm curious to see if that continues, because Tadlock's not going to be afraid to go with the hot hand. So if Baker works his way back in, <laughs> like, is there a shuffle back to the original lineup from early in the season? Move Josh Young no. back to third. No, Baker at short. No way. Okay. No. They're not going to break up the middle infield now. Okay. And, and I've talked about that before. Josh Young, I think, what, two errors since he moved to shortstop maybe? He's been 
he's made unbelievable plays over there defensively. Just amazing. The, the play he made, was that the Friday night game, the, the, the ball going away from him through the gap? Or was that in the re- – maybe I'm thinking of the regional. The Sunday – yeah, it was the Sunday game in the regional. Josh Young made a play on a ball that was going away from him. The, the replay doesn't do it credit because you couldn't see the angle of his body going away from second base and still snagging that ball and making the throw. But the biggest thing for me has been the chemistry between he and Brian Klein. Mm-hmm. They've always been close. You could see that they're, that they're close you know, pregame, just the way they warm up together, even when Josh wasn't at shortstop. That chemistry has been huge for shutting down the middle infield. I think they've been strong. So, yeah, no, I couldn't imagine at this point. No. No. <laughs> no. I don't think Josh Young's the Could kind I of guy. Could I be more clear? No. I don't think Josh Young's the kind of guy that would say no to Tim Tadlock, but I think that he would protest <laughs> in, in whatever way he does that. Okay. Um, so y- your thought is then we'll see Drew Baker after this past week, and you, you think he's, he's done enough to, to come back out? You know, I don't see those guys every day, so they may see more. They may see more in scrimmages and whatever else they, they're doing, um, and you may, they may go with a different hand. I mean, who knows? But right now it sure seems like Drew Baker has, has earned his way in over there at third base. And, you know, but, again, they're not afraid to, to make some swaps. I mean, like I said, the end of the game to send you to Omaha, you had Parker Kelly at third. You had Max Marshock, I think, in center field. Tanner Otrimba in right. I don't even know who was in left field. Kurt Wilson had come into first base. I mean, it looked it – was, It was a weird lineup. It was weird, you know, and, but it worked, and they made it happen. You know, and they didn't have a lot of plays to make, I get it, but I felt confident. And I'll say this about Kurt Wilson. He played for Arlington Martin. He was on a team stacked with – he was on a team stacked with uh, with D one talent and and uh, and pro prospects and all that kind of stuff. And he comes to Texas Tech. And last year, he played eight positions on the field early in the season. He pitched and played. He pitched and played eight or played seven field positions. The only thing he didn't do was catch. You know, I'm serious. Like over the course of a few games, so you know he's versatile. He's a great athlete. He's got a great arm. He's faster than he looks. So I feel comfortable. You stick him anywhere. Yeah, so this is a little bit of research I was doing for a, a Stake in the Plains comment today, actually, or yesterday. Um, going back and looking at Kurt Wilson's season just this year. So he, he started off pitching, and he pitched um, – I think the last game he pitched in was against Kansas. So that was well in, into April. Um, he started batting – no, no, no. So I, I think Duke was, was his last – pitching appearance which and that was mid-April his first batting appearance was against Kansas like a week before so there's a little bit of overlap but basically as soon as he started batting he stopped pitching Mm -hmm. um and we've seen Kurt Wilson the pitcher hitting some dingers (laughs) and we're all familiar with the story about why Kurt Wilson is in the field at this point right which he was asked about in the post-game interview on Sunday which was just fantastic about that note that he sent into Tadlock on the radio show and he said he was just messing around with Tadlock, and then like the next day he's like, "Hey man, you're you're in the lineup this week." Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, "All right, I'm just, I'm just messing with Tadlock." And the next thing I know, I'm starting in left field. <laughs> and yeah. if anybody doesn't know, Kurt Wilson sent a note in at Rudy's Barbecue to Coach Tadlock in the question portion of the radio show and said, "When will Kurt Wilson get more at bat?" Signed, Kurt Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. That's right. Um. 
I don't know if there's any any football news that we can even like mention besides Wells and his son at, at the baseball games, which has been really cool to see. I saw unis today on Twitter. I saw some uniforms, but the equipment folks tweeted out some, not like a big reveal, but like a table with some uniforms laid on it. And you could see the 150 logo, I guess the, the anniversary of, I was assuming it was the anniversary of college football. Is that what it is? I have no idea. Okay. I'll Google that. Um, Cause I know I, I I don't think this was a very serious question, but I know there was some offhanded questions about like is I know that the Under Armour contracts coming up is Texas Tech going to resign with them? I was like, well, yeah, I think why would will. you not? Yeah. Why, why would Under Armour release Texas Tech? Like they've they've made you a, a one of their flagship schools. I I think from all from all that I've heard, they take exceptional care of Texas Tech. So and when you see some of the garbage that. Adidas is putting on teams. I don't know why like any college team is, is with Adidas. I mean kickbacks? Like I'm looking at you, ain't I'm like, <laughs> yeah. why a school of your size and money, like why are you with a trash Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I guess it's better than that that other, that one that we had that Texas Tech had before Under Armour. Oh, with a little man? Yeah, like like, like the Nokia <laughs> gear or cellular whatever. wireless, whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. Um basketball, I don't have a, a ton of news here besides everybody and their and their mom is working out Jared Culver, trying to get a feel for him in their their first pick. You mean you mean teams work out lottery picks? Get this. Some of them actually fly to Lubbock <laughs> to do it. Turns out uh, Phoenix Suns admin were, was actually in Lubbock for a private workout, and there was some, some Twitter brouhaha about who broke that news first and whether it was considered breaking news through a premium website or not. <laughs> I guess. Um, well, Lubbock does have an airport. <laughs> Surprisingly, and it doesn't just fly to one location like the Hobbs Airport does. Yeah, because where, where does the Hobbs Airport fly? Vegas. Houston. Oh, okay. But but what they say is like from here to anywhere. It's like well, from here to Houston, and then <laughs> yeah, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always had a good because so it's actually a friend of mine that was working for the Hobbs uh, EDC that was and that was kind of like his project was to, to promote the airport. Um, and like he was so proud of it. I was like, I get it, man. But like saying like from here to anywhere, it's not really Hobbs to anywhere. It's Hobbs to Houston, and then you can go anywhere. You should have just picked somewhere, like from here to Zimbabwe. <laughs> just <laughs> rotate it through. Yeah, um, we're gonna make a marketing piece for every country. That would have been pretty cool. <laughs> um, but Hobbs is super conservative. Like Hobbs to Birmingham. Hobbs to <laughs> Little Rock, all, all the ho- all the hot spots. Uh, yeah, the the destinations from Hobbs America. Um, so yeah, the the M- not the MLB, the NBA draft is coming up um, on the twentieth. So just over a week away. Uh, Culver is still slated to go pretty high. Um, has worked out with the Lakers. Has worked out with the Suns. Those are picks four and six. Um, some have them projected to go to Cleveland at five. That is about as much as I know, and we'll find out a whole lot more next week. Unless you have something. Nope. Didn't think so. Was this about basketball? <laughs> is that still going? Well, so when we, yeah, yeah. When, when, when I, my, I had this slip and I said uh, MLB draft, I was like, oh, let's actually go back and talk about that because we, we did have um, a handful of Texas Tech players, current players and, and recruits. Six. Uh, com- Drafted. So I was going to say committed. I was like, oh, I just said commit. So 13 total, uh, mm-hmm. whether they're current or incoming. Um, it appears that 
all of them are probably going to go professional. I think you're waiting on one high schooler. You're waiting um, on one, and it's going to come down to the wire. Yeah, five are definitely gone. They're between high schoolers and JUCO. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I got definitive word on that today that five are definitely signing or already have, and then the last one is expected to go all the way down to the wire. But would be a good get. And there and and don't fret. I mean, there are some fantastic players in the class that that didn't even get drafted. I mean that are really excellent players. And the interesting thing about the MLB draft for high schoolers, they can tell teams, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they can tell them flat out, don't draft me, I'm going to college. Luke and Baker did that and made it very clear. John McMillan had a number, you know, and so you kind of negotiate beforehand. And it's kind of a don't waste a pick on me if it's not going to be this kind of situation. Yeah. So, so you got some guys, you still got some dudes coming in. Don't worry about that. And the weird thing about the the baseball recruiting is like you're not entirely sure what your your commit class looks like. There there are some services that that do this, but uh, I believe most of them are, are premium and paid services. So you don't have a, a truly good feel about it until uh, Tadlock announces his class. And I don't think he even does that even that much of a, a, an announcement. Tadlock tweets and says, "Put it on the board." Put it on the board, but like there's no name. And that's when there's a commitment. Well, what you can normally do is search Twitter. For Texas Tech baseball or something to that effect, and you'll find whoever has said it, you know, mm-hmm. or there'll be a coach liking that kid's Twitter pretty quickly because once he's committed, they're going to start following him and paying attention to what idiot yeah. things he's doing. But yeah, baseball recruiting is a little bit of a of a crapshoot, and you have a lot more a lot more JUCO guys, and that's not a negative, you know. Like in football, you you bringing in JUCO guys, you're kind of filling holes. In college, you still get a couple years out of them, and they're quality players, and or one. Yeah, or one, sometimes one, or sometimes three. Dylan Noisy came from a JUCO, but he's just a sophomore. So, well, not three, two. Yeah, he's good, yeah. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit harder to follow, but there's still, there's still good things out there. And speaking of recruiting, something I saw, it didn't get enough, it didn't get enough play because I don't think people understand or appreciate who he is and what he does. But J. Bob Thomas – the assistant coach for baseball, the baseball team. He's the recruiting coordinator. J-Bob was the 2017 Baseball America Assistant Coach of the Year. He is an amazing recruiter and a, just a hilarious guy from what I understand. I don't know him real well myself. But there's a video of him, like, popping and locking yeah, in the, I'll, in I'll the locker room. And I actually told Kendall Rogers about that day, and he didn't be- today, and he didn't believe me. Like, I had well, to send one, it to him. Well, one, so I, I, I've seen the video, and I like, – it was prefaced with "This is J. Bob Thomas." Like, there's no way a man of like of that size is making these moves. I was like, eh, maybe that is him. Yeah, <laughs> he's been dropping some weight, so um, that's been we noticed that this weekend. J. Bob's well, been dropping the, some weight. The other thing is, is, is most of these coaches don't have like a very close fitting jacket. Like, no, no, yeah, he's had the same jacket for like 15 years, I think. Well, and, and yeah. shoes. And if he's losing weight, then that jacket's going to be yeah a couple sizes bigger. too big. Yeah. All right, um, we did get a couple questions in. Uh, Red Raider Reset Man, longtime uh, listener. How surprising was the Joe Wallace transfer news? Um, I didn't see it coming at all. I thought he worked his way back into good graces. So he was part of that group of players that were suspended uh, earlier in the spring. Um, and from what I heard, it was a a difference in philosophy and what, what Wells allows for uh, off-the-field conduct. Um and they were just at odds there. And I I don't remember if he came back practicing in the spring or if it was DeMarcus Fields. I think it was Fields. Uh, but the rest of the guys that were suspended around the same time have 
all announced their intention to transfer. So, um, I wouldn't say I was surprised. The biggest thing though, is that that's a, that's a big position of need, obviously. And then a, a guy, his size, um, you would definitely like to hold on to him, but you know, we wish Joe Wallace the best. Uh, but I personally, I, I don't think I was, I was that big of a surprise. You have any, yeah, I don't know who that is. So no, Joe, I'm just kidding. I, I know. He, I like, hold on. I know he entered the portal and, you know, the, to be honest, oh, man, I, I I told Michael I would have an audio clip ready to go for any transfer portal news. Yeah. No, I, I knew he entered the portal, and I think I shared it in the Slack. I don't know if I was the first one or not, but I think that that whole that situation in the spring, I like it. And I don't know exactly what's going on in that with the team rules and exactly what that is, but I like to see Matt Wells coming in and instilling discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's what that that article, the the statesman or the morning news article talked about with Kirby was he needed somebody to come in and instill discipline in the program. And you know he's got a formula like the guy knows what he's doing, and he figured it out with Beard, and he figured it out with Tadlock, and I think he's figured it out with Stallings. And he's got other great coaches in less visible sports that do the same things. And now you got a guy coming in in the most visible program, and if he believes in him, you know I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt to see kind of how he's doing this and how he's going about it. And if you lose some dudes because they're not going to buy into that, I mean that's kind of what happens. You know I know he's a controversial guy, but Bob Knight he had some guys that broke team rules, and it was like I mean go run your lines or you're off the team, you know. And they were some big contributors, and there were guys that took care of business, and there were guys that didn't. You know, and that's you give you give somebody the choice and let them get on board or not. But Chris Beard didn't build culture without accountability. You know, it wasn't all about hugs and I love yous and trips to happy Texas. You know, so there was accountability there, and there needs to be for the football team too. And then we had one other question uh, submitted by M uh, at M R Oliver. What was each of y'all's favorite single play of the Super Regional? P.S. Don't take the easy route and say Kurt's homer. So we were talking about this before we started recording, and I don't know if we agreed on the same play but I, I think we both um i mean if it wasn't favorite it, it was up there for, for both of us did you want to go first you want me to go no go ahead so i, I think mine and it's, it's not going to show up on the on the highlight but it was on it was in sunday's super regional game you had a runner on first uh you, you were in the field um you had a runner on first then you, you had a sharply hit line drive to brian klein uh at second um hit chest high i believe the camera was whipping around pretty quickly i think it was coming kind of he had to go hard to his right with his arm up like he extended out to his right kind of away from the field a little bit that was i was looking up so i kind of caught the end of the movement and then the rest of the play so it was well within his his reach to catch the ball on you know in the air right to, to get the line out um i don't I don't know if it's intentional. You'd have, you'd have to ask Brian Klein, but he knocks the ball down um, and then makes the play to second, throws up the runner to second, the force, and then completes the, the double play for Young, throwing back to Warren. Um, both runners are basically standing on first base, confused about what just oh, happened. Brian, Brian Klein threw it because he ran it to second. Okay. Okay. So he, he didn't throw They it had down. no idea what was going on. <laughs> yeah. So, because I think they thought he caught it. I think they thought Brian Klein caught the line drive. So the the guy that was on first, the runner that should have gone to second, um, thought that Klein had caught the ball standing there thinking he was safe, um, but he was actually the one that was the force out at second, yes. and then Klein throws it to first to get the the batter, the batter or runner, if you want to be technical. Yeah. Um, 
that was probably one of my favorites because initially I'm like, you know, like, oh crap, you know, he didn't make a, a play that, that he was there for. And like almost and she like, actually, it worked out better that he did not catch that ball. Actually, he was the smartest man on the field. Like that's he's smarter what, than I was. Well, yeah, he it was pure baseball IQ. Like that's why he's gonna be so valuable to have as a senior next year. I mean, I hate that he didn't get drafted. I think he deserved a shot, but I'm glad he'll be there because that's just baseball IQ. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we were talking about it in the stands. I think he probably knocked it down or dropped it on purpose because he can make the play. I mean, we've seen him make wilder plays than that. I mean, you knock it down, you run it to the bag, you toss it over, and nobody knows what the heck's going on except for you. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> so It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a great one. So what about you? Do you have another play in mind? So I, got, I have two that I, I was kind of sitting here thinking about. One is – and on Rob's show on Friday, we talked about our like our MVP. Or no, Rob was talking about. I'm sorry. On Monday, was talking about his MVP, and I was texting. And you know, one is just Tim Tadlock, and the pinch run of Marshawk, mm -hmm. I think, was a fantastic move. And he people not that Tadlock paid any attention or cared, but people were gnashing their teeth on Saturday after the loss. They're saying he mismanaged the pin. They're saying he. You know, he, he did everything wrong. They had all these things he did wrong. And I thought he did something pretty impressive when he pulled Kurt Wilson in as a fifth infielder, you know, in that yeah, Saturday so that night was, game. Um, I thought he was pulling him into pitch. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, but there were a lot of questions because he, he comes out, he, he like waves Wilson in. Drew Baker's running out there with a new glove. was like, is, is he going to have him warm up and start throwing? <laughs> um, but it was, in a, it was a time in the game where um, they – Oklahoma State could have bunted um, and or you know had a, a weak you know cheap in infield hit um, and, and won the game. Yeah, it's, it's and a, anything to the outfield was a win. Anything right. to the outfield was a sack fly at that point. So Wilson comes in uh, b between um, third base and Josh Young, so he's even further left of, of shortstop. Um, you get the three basically infielders out there. He's based on the edge of the dirt. I think that's as close as he can come, right? Because he's, he's at least still an outfielder, but he, he can play in. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, noisy shades over to left center. Uh, Gabe moves over. Um, no, I think Gabe, it was Otremba at that point. Yeah, Gabe was already out by then. Um, and it just it, it there were a lot of questions going around, like, like my section, like what is what's what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, when, when I saw him change gloves and him heading back towards like left field, I was like. Wait a minute, he's he's pulling him in for a fifth infielder. Yeah, and and it was funny because Wilson had kind of like a dirt to dirt kind of moment, and he like spins around and looks around for a second, you know, and you're like, does he is he about to pitch? Like you really were. He seemed lost, and then it all made sense, and then it meant nothing, you know, because <laughs> nothing happens, and he goes back out, and mm -hmm. that's it. And then you're asking, well, why didn't we do it? Why didn't we leave him in or whatever? Well, then you put in a le then they have a, a right handed batter or a left handed batter. And so it changes the whole situation. Yeah, so the ball would have gone the other way. But in my mind, I was like, well, pull them all in. <laughs> Just bring the whole outfield in. If the outfield doesn't matter at this point, then, you know, if it's all if it's all going to be a sack fly anyway. Seven outfielders. <laughs> seven infielders there. Like, Just load the box. Like, nothing is getting off the dirt. But anyway, Tad, Tim Tadlock, kind of my favorite. But the Max Marshock pinch was one of my favorite things. And, and part of it is kind of the whole buildup of the season to that young man because he comes in. He's a top 100 guy. He's drafted. You know, there's like heavy expectations on him to perform. He has struggled some at the plate. Mm -hmm. He hasn't earned himself a starting spot. You know, he's frustrated because he expects more of himself. He was the dude at Amarillo High. You know, he was he was big time, big time player, big time recruit. 
you know he's been frustrated, but the fact that he's just willing to get on the field and come play, I think is is really speaks a lot to him. And if they say, you know, you're you're Zach Davis right now, come be Zach Davis, come mm-hmm. be the speedster when we need you. I I appreciate his willingness to contribute. I hope he hangs. Like I hope he hangs around Tech because I mean he can come on and he could be huge. Um, and then the other one for me, and it's again one of those kind of not going to see it on a highlight reel. It was a reviewed play where Cameron Warren. So they bunt to test Dane Haveman, you know, testing the big man's PFP. He comes off really well and fields the ball, but he makes a horrible throw mm. to Cam Warren, who I remember this one. really short hops it. Cam digs it out and then tries to lay the tag down on the back of the runner. I mean, it's like the most acrobatic, crazy-looking play, and it ends up going to review. And I think he was actually out because he never touched the bag. You know, his foot went over the bag as he came through. I don't know if Tam got the tag down or not. I mean, we were watching on a phone. You're only allowed to show it once in the ballpark on the screen. It's stupid. But just that situation, you know, the whole player of the year conversation, Cam, you know, being the big stick right now, he's got 17 home runs. Like, that's always the storyline. Cam's an old-school baseball player. I mean, he wants to get out there and play. He's way better defensively as a first baseman than anybody I think gives him credit for. Baseball America, which I think is pure trash, gave him – what was it? Third team DH, like third team All American is the DH. Like that's trash, you know. I mean, he's the kid is a better player than that. I'm glad he got drafted. He's gonna get a shot. And I said this on my podcast that when I was recording with Kendall today, I'll say it again. Michael Davis told me last year, and I don't think he'd mind using his name. He told me flat out, Cam Warren's the most talented, like pure talented baseball player on this team. And I always thought that spoke volumes from a guy like that, who I got a video and I got a texted video to me the day of Michael Davis doing something crazy at third base, you know, saying this guy's legit, you know, and he just doesn't get, he's just so unassuming. He's always smiling, you know, yeah, he's kind of a bigger lumbering guy, but man, I think he's a great player. And I thought that was one of those moments where you saw it. And I didn't always give him the credit he deserved early in the season. And I want to now, because I think, so when I when I think back to that series, of course you think about the dingers and Kurt Wilson will go right along with Devin Conley and you know all those all the the big plays Nesloni and all these huge plays over the last few years. But I think Cam Warren seeing him do awesome defensive stuff like that 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 makes me happy. Yeah, so you've seen from the first base side that like there have been very few balls get past him. Yeah, um, th- yeah. thrown balls. I mean, put that way, he's he's got he, one of the best fielding percentages on the team. Yeah, and, and that's something that like. You only realize if you like to t- take a second to think back. Like I don't remember him missing anything like that he should have caught. Ended up in the dugout or in the stands or something. And his, um, I mean, I don't know that I've ever in watching baseball felt better about a guy's ability to dig something out of the dirt than Cam Warren. I mean, he almost always pulls those things out. And Josh Young has sent him several from third base, some pretty dirty balls, you know. And Cam has bailed him out. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's money over there. So that, that does it for us for questions. Um, do you have any updates on, on your yard service? You want to? Yeah, dis- yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was te- kind of joking about it. Okay, no, no, I texted the guy and I'm like, hey, um, are your guys supposed to be doing all these things? Oh, the, all the. Yeah, all these things all that the aren't being stuff. done. Yeah. And he's like, yes, they'll do them this time. And so I threw like a sob story at him about why I hadn't talked to him about it. And it was mostly done. They still haven't trimmed my bushes. 
but they did get all the like overgrowth and a bunch of other stuff that's been happening. I, what I guess I really want is them to take a little bit of ownership of the yard. Like walk in and there's a dead limb hanging and think, I need to take care of that today. Not, I need to be out of here in 15 minutes. You know, I've got 20 other yards to get Exactly. To. <laughs> and I know that that's the game and there's six dudes there like blasting through it as fast as they can. But I just want a little bit of... You know, a little bit of ownership. That's all I'm looking for. And if I got to be the squeaky wheel, I will be. But it looks good right now. And I haven't watered a drop this year. Well, we, we, we've been lucky to have a, a wet spring. Mm-hmm. So, and not, when it has warmed up and dried out, it hasn't been actually all that warm. This upcoming week is going to be pretty hard. Well, and pretty hot. Yeah, for you guys, the, the highs in Omaha are like 81. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> keep throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the yard for me looks fine. It looks good. I don't have any complaints. Yeah. Um, mowing twice a week still. Things rocking and rolling. Green monsters growing. My, my neighbor, um, gosh, I, it got to the point on Saturday when I was mowing, I was like, I almost just walked over and was like, dude, do you need to cut your grass for you? Because this is, <laughs> it's bad. So it, like he's got, he's got Bermuda right, but it like it, right now because it's starting to warm up, Bermuda is kicking in, and and most Bermuda yards that are, um pretty full are, are, are sending up the seed heads and what that does overall in your yard just gets like the grass isn't brown but the hue of the grass looks brown because the seed heads are on top and he had a ton of seed heads he's got like some random weed like really tall weeds i noticed yesterday he cut it but he cut it so tall that like some of the seed heads were still there i was like what are you doing man <laughs> you should start having classes well you should be a, why don't you be able to be like a master gardener I don't even know what that means. You never heard of that? It's well, like a real thing, like a certification. I know what it like. I, I've heard of it. I just don't know like what the process is. I don't know either. The, but the, I know the, somebody that is one. The gardener side of it, like I, I, we planted flowers in our front little flower bed. Uh-huh. I've got like a seventy percent hit rate on that. I was like, what is happening up here? <laughs> I, this is like transporting a flower from a pot to dirt and putting water on it, and literally. Like you a can, third of it's dead. I feel like you can put dirt in your mouth and tell me the pH of the soil, but you can't <laughs> grow some flowers. <laughs> you can't grow <laughs> some flowers in a pot. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going on. That's funny. Um, my my neighbors across the street um, are college guys. I think they're actually football players. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, they're they're great neighbors. They're quiet. They don't get anybody's way. So they're offensive linemen. Huh? I said, so they're offensive. Yeah, linemen? they definitely look like <laughs> a lineman, but they. Um, you know, it's a rent house, obviously, and the yard, I don't even think that's grass. It's just a bunch of trash that grows out there. But it was so tall at one point last week, there was a lime scooter that had been on the sidewalk in front of their house for probably two weeks, and it was to the point where I couldn't see it. I could no longer see the lime scooter. And then I came home one day, and, and they'd mowed it. So, And I didn't text the landlord to like you know complain, because what do I care? Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've actually considered, like, on the weekend, just, just trying to pick up a couple of yards on my street. Just like, <laughs> just for your own satisfaction. Guys, you need some help. Um, and it's going to help the rest of us. And it's, it's going to put a little extra cash in my wallet. Um, so what we learned, Oklahoma state baseball fans are trash. Um, I don't have any, really anything past that besides like experiencing them for two games was more than enough. It was a lot. It was, it was a lot. And it was very trolly. That was yeah. go cheer for your team. But man, some of the stuff just, yeah, it wears me out. And, and we just don't see a lot of that. I mean, generally, you see pretty good baseball fans. Not that you have to be meek and quiet, you know, but there was just something about it. I mean, it, it's one thing to, to get loud for your team in a, in a, in a close game, like, like we had all three games, basically. Um, but just some of the stuff, like like you were saying, just unnecessary. Um, 
you learned that you're you're making the trip to Omaha. Yeah, you I learned good tickets. I've, well, I, I just found out I got in the Red Raider Club draw. So last year we just bought tickets piecemeal, and so kind of as you go along, they get a little bit less expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, the the first weekend is the crazy packed part of Omaha. There's four games in two days, and then it kind of starts to settle, and teams start getting eliminated, and the crowds kind of shrink until the championship. Um, and so the ticket prices get a little more reasonable. So, I mean, we paid, I don't remember exactly, like $130 or something for tickets up the first base side, kind of high up on the in the lower bowl or lower level for the first game. But then our best seats, the, thir- the Thursday game against Florida, were, were like 12th row right behind the plate, and those tickets were like $60, you know. Um, but these Red Raider clubs, but what we never, I should say, what we never had was a chance where we were sitting around other Red Raiders. Mm. And so the Red Raider club seats, the draw, they're all together in a section. And so I'm just, you know, it, and it, they're not the best seats ever, but they're just the fact that we get to be together with other Red Raiders. I'm excited about that. And they're reasonable. They're like 35 to 55 a game, which is. That's pretty good. Yeah. A little more handleable, but I have learned, not that I didn't know, but I have a fantastic wife that lets me do this. So she takes our kid to see her parents and kind of puts up with me missing Father's Day on the promise on that on those words like this isn't going to happen every year and now it's the second year in a row. <laughs> it's only happened four times in the past <laughs> six, six years. So yeah. I've only stayed home twice. Yeah, I, I know. I, yeah, I didn't. I, and yeah, I, we didn't. I didn't go to those first two. I wish I had. But to me, like this is my Minneapolis, and so I'm excited to get to go up there to figure it out. I always look forward to it. Um, you know, I didn't bend over. I don't bend over backwards for other sports. Like I enjoy them. I was excited about basketball. I felt I would be disingenuous if I like jumped in and wanted to ride that basketball wagon. But this, this sport, this team, I want to be there. You know, it's just this, I'm excited. I really am. It's even the 12 hour drive. I don't, I don't even dread it. Nice. (laughs) One of these years, I'm gonna have to make the trip up there, man. It's worth it. And I'm not kidding. Even if your team's not there, go the first weekend Opening ceremonies are on Friday night. There's four games in two days over the weekend. Play golf on Monday or something, and then come back home Tuesday. Whether you're with friends or alone or with your family, it's just an awesome atmosphere. They do such a good job. It's like the second biggest money maker for the NCAA. So they really do it right. You know, they I think they do an awesome job. It's a great ballpark. The stuff around the ballpark has really grown up. And Omaha's an awesome city. I mean, it's like half a million people. There's a downtown, there's an old town. The whole area around the ballpark is great. Uh, they do the whole fan festival thing. There's tons of like cool museums and great restaurants and the zoo. And I mean, it's a really it's a cool place to visit. So what I took from that is, if Lubbock gets a little bit bigger, they can host the College World Series. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> We're quiet from from uh, from Omaha's. Do you know the story about that? I I do know that they they changed stadiums recently. So Omaha hosted kind of all the way through the life of the college world series, but they did it on little like short contracts with the NCAA, like every four years or five years or whatever they re-upped. And yeah, Rosenblatt stadium had been the home to the college world series for a long time. It was kind of well known because it had multicolored seats in sections like yellow and red, like really bright seats. And uh, yeah, when they wanted to build a new ballpark, they went to the NCAA and said, Hey, you know, if we're going to do this, if we're going to make this financial commitment, we want a long-term deal which the NCAA every once in a while would come back with this idea like, hey, let's, let's rotate the World Series like we do other championships. Because Omaha's great. You know? I mean, you could call it flyover country, but it's centrally located for everybody to come to kind of equally. And 
Omaha wanted that commitment, so they signed a 25-year contract with the NCAA and then built TD Ameritrade, which is a fantastic ballpark. I think it seats like 25,000, something like that. It's a great ballpark. Maybe that maybe I'm overshooting it. 2025. And I think it houses a it houses a uh, minor league team during the year. Creighton plays there. They're, Creighton's the official host of the College World Series. So, which was cool and this they year. Made it. They got into the regional this yeah, year, yeah. They could have made it. Um well, uh, I want to thank Keith from the Nigger Derby podcast for joining us this week, filling in for Michael, who is somewhere up in the north. Um, he and, and Kyle Jacobson are oh, yeah. possibly running into themselves up in Minnesota. I'm not sure why. The they got really audience. excited talking about places in Minneapolis or wherever they are. So I think Michael's in Madison. For a conference, oh, that's Wisconsin, right? Um, and then Kyle was going up to Minnesota. I, was he going back to Minneapolis? I have no idea. Anyways, they, they were talking about like possibly running into each other. Like, you're not even going to the same state, <laughs> <laughs> like, but they're closer together up there. Do you know your geography? <laughs> they're not close together. They both live in Lubbock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean states are closer together up there. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Michael should be joining us back next week. We'll see. Um, we will be in the thick, hopefully, of College World Series baseball. Hopefully. Um, and with that, we will catch you next week. 